0: Back themselves after our guys put feet down on them earlier this year.
1: The Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother. See, Graham's Mother. good. And we are back with another episode of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to take a moment out to say thank you to our listeners, supporters, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you can do so by leaving us a voice note on any of the podcast platforms we are hosted on. You can also subscribe to us on any of those podcasting platforms we're hosted on. We'll soon be seeing you in video. But in the meantime, if you'd like to reach us directly, you can do so by... Emailing us at views from the clutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at views from the clutch on Facebook, Instagram, and now
0: TikTok. And just like that, we are back, yes, sir. What's yeah, everything's straight, man. Yo, let's just to, right real quick. Uh, the Raptors just destroyed Golden State 130 to 77. Okay, so the Raptors continue to own real estate and, and But again, this is no Steph Curry, so you know, it's like people can can you name five other players on that team without that are currently healthy. You know what I mean? Like can people most people can't do uh, it. Uh you want me to No, nah, I mean, okay, so it's no 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 Draymond okay, Green, no Steph Curry tonight. Obviously we wow. all know Clay out for the season. You know what I mean? Wigging on him is playing again. Again, that's not. Uber again, that's 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 that doesn't sound confident. Yeah, I'm, gotta, just oh, gotcha, I'm just asking.
1: I'm just you know, I'm just I, I, and I think I stopped right there. I don't know. I know they got some dude with like the three names, uh-huh. like Juan mm-hmm. Carlos type of Navarro yeah, yeah, type yeah. of dude. That's yeah, probably yeah. That probably got wrong. You, yeah, so you kung
0: fooled his name up, chopped it up.
1: Yeah, but all right. Anyway, um, and I didn't get to do this. So let me just go ahead and do this now. First and foremost, we would like to, and I know we always normally talk pro basketball, but this, this moment in time, this moment in history needs to be acknowledged because of the impact he's had not only on the college basketball game, but in the pro players that he has produced. I'm going to give a round of applause to one Roy Williams, who is retired as coach of the North Carolina basketball men's team. He was an amazing coach. He is responsible for a lot of players that we have grown to love and become fans of. Even some of the current of players are our our North Carolina product. He's been a big part of, you know, the college basketball machine. Obviously, he had his own shares of controversies and those type of things along the way. But his players love him. The program loves him. He, He came back to that program where he initially wasn't available to get the opportunity he wanted, which was to be the head coach. And he delivered them national championships, and he continued to deliver all you know, all, all all nation level recruits up until what maybe this season when neither him or Duke could produce a team that could even go to the NCAA tournament. Or North Carolina, no, too. no, 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 they no, they went, but I don't know. No, it was North
0: Carolina. Right. But mm-hmm. long story short, no, 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 go, ahead, go. Ahead. Yeah, go
1: ahead. Long story short, you know what I'm saying. In, in a positive way, happy trails and looking forward to you being able to enjoy the rest of, of your years. Roy Williams, I definitely am appreciative for all that you brought to the game of college basketball. You know, and that's really all I want to say about that. Um, back to the NBA, and back to the issues that I wanted to um jump in on. Since I know what they are now, since we already kind of like pre-discussed them, let's just go ahead and talk about um, there is a dilemma in veteran NBA basketball players. Maybe not a dilemma. Maybe it's not a pandemic, but there's something in the air where the NBA veterans have now figured out that, not even now figured out, but are putting blatantly out there that if they dog it, they can work their way onto a team where they can actually show that they still got a lot left in the tank. Now, we were talking earlier, so let's get back to it. The first player you brought up was Mm -hmm. Blake Griffin. So talk about it. What have you seen from Blake Griffin since he was emancipated from Detroit and signed to the Brooklyn Nets? I
0: see somebody that's happy. All of a sudden looks way healthier. I see somebody that got some spring in their legs. Um, I see somebody that really, really looked like they was out there fooling people.
1: I'm almost at the level of... uh, Uh, what movie did, did was it Malcolm X who did it? But Bam! Bamboo, Hoodwink, Let astray thats crazy. So, so let's be fair. Blake Griffin is not like you said prior to us. Blake Griffin is not the guy who could jump over a Kia hood. Mm-hmm. And mind you, again that him jumping over the car thing—this, this. Uh, let us not get into that. He jumped over the car hood. He did not, you know, he jumped over the car hood. But we know for a fact that's not something that he's going to be able to accomplish now based on, you know, the litany of injuries that he suffered and the um, decline in athleticism that naturally occurs as you age as an athlete. And um, it had come to our attention in recent months that, you know, Drake Griffin hadn't dunked in two years. Yeah. And now, in the span of, what, maybe his first three games Mm -hmm. with the Brooklyn Nets, he's caught each game. And each dunk has been, I don't want to say impressive, but it definitely has shown that he has some explosives left. He still has some range to his dunking left. And he also has the ability to recover
0: mm-hmm.
1: from jumping. Because those are three things that are very important when, when you're an athlete. There's a lot of guys who stop dunking simply because they don't want to do yeah. the landing. That shock value of, of, of going up in the air, having that temporary interruption in your momentum to dunk the ball, and then physics, letting that momentum down as you release yourself from the rim and come down to the floor, that's shock. We saw what that did to guys like Derrick Rose, who had horrible landing technique in his early years and, and wound up catching up to him. There, there's a litany of guys who, you know, their first four or five years in the league, they're jumping out of the gym. And then in year six through 10, you know, you are getting a dunk once every four or five games. And we thought that Blake Griffin had simply retired from dunking. And here he is, he's catching miss miss off the rim dumps. He's catching alley-oops from James Harden. Now, you know James Harden throws a lot of alley-oops. And I don't want to say he's a bad alley-oop thrower, but he's one of those you're gonna have to go get it throwers. And Blake mm-hmm. went and got one. Now, I've been telling you off camp, you know, like off the pod that until I see Blake go and get one off the square, I'm not gonna be convinced that, you know, he was really dogging it. But the fact that he was near the square on that last tip dunk that he caught,
0: ugh,
1: He might whip something out crazy come playoff time. If he does one of those drive past a guy, go baseline, and then jump from the other side, dunk it, if he does one of those, I think Detroit got to file a lawsuit. (laughs)
0: Because
1: this might be the first time that a franchise can accuse and have proof of a player tanking. (laughs) Tanking. Because at no time, at no time in his last two years in Detroit, was there ever an instance where it looked like Those dunks weren't dunks he couldn't have done there. And that's my and it's the hundred percent
0: listen, there was times where Blake was on wide open fast breaks and laid the ball up. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So again, you know He was on
1: he he was on he was on one on zero breaks. Like where you know the goal the guy brings the ball up the court and you know Blake is playing the high guy on the right hand side and like the ball gets tipped away and he you know scoops into it and He's got an uncontested whatever. That boy was laying him up. He, he, he was laid mm-hmm. up like a husband. He was laid up like a husband on an anniversary after the candle got blown out. He laid up. And now we see Blake Griffin jumping like, you know, like he got something to prove. And then also saying things like, I still got it. Getting mm-hmm. into it with Detroit. Because when they played Detroit, you know, it got a little testy. But obviously, you know, Blake Lyskinn. So Blake light skin drama and all the things that he's brought with him along the career, like, I don't know, man. He's not a he's He's a real aggressive, He you know, and, and I don't want to take nothing away from him because, again, I'm a Blake Griffin fan. So watching him decline like that, it was, it was painful. Mm-hmm. It was painful because I did want to see him succeed, and I did want to see him get himself to a situation where he has an opportunity to truly compete for a championship and in a capacity that I felt suited him because he's not the guy you need to be, your best player on your team if you're trying to chase a championship. It's just unfortunate that there are certain players like that in the league, really phenomenal talents who can impact the games in numerous different ways, but their impact doesn't always correlate to dominance and winning.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I you got understand you.
1: what I'm saying? So, you know, you got a guy like Kawhi who, until he can't play defense, it's going to be really difficult for you to be able to take away his value on the court because it's plus-minus is always going to be impactful on the fact that he he has an impact on the game on defense. Now, obviously, he's turned into a level one scorer, where he can score all three levels of the floor. He's got his pull-up game where you can't really stop him from the mid-range if he gets to his spots and all those other things. But back to what we are talking about. We alluded to this early in the season when, when James Harden wore the fat
0: suit.
1: So let me ask you: Is there a conspiracy? Like,
0: is Lamarcus Aldridge about to start doing windmill? Yo, Lamarcus Aldridge had almost a double double last night, and um, like, little bit of minutes. Like, he was like, he played, he played like 15 minutes and had like 12, I think 11 points and like nine rebounds. It's like, wait, what? You know what I mean? Wow. He's still hitting his. Now, now, mind you, now mind you, Lamarcus Aldridge in
1: San Antonio, it's not like he was playing bad offensively. So I don't want to put him in the same category as a guy like Blake Griffin. I kind of mentioned him just because he happened to join join up with that team in Brooklyn, but unless he was out there scoring those 11 points in a way that were like demonstrative of him showing athleticism that he didn't show in San Antonio, I'm not going to put him in the same but vote. he never
0: had but, that level of athleticism that Blake did. He was all he yeah. always, he basically when he showed he showed somebody that looked like they were interested in playing basketball again. So, again, those years in San Antonio, the last few years or even this this past season where he was, you know, started to come off the bench in San Antonio, um, you know, averaging his little 13 points a game for San Antonio, he looked at it like, I'm good. I don't really – I don't want to compete with being, you know, playing – coming off the bench, you got the young players – you kind of in the playoffs, but you kind of at the bottom. You know what? There's a nice place in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. They're in the East. They're competing for a championship. The San Antonio thing. They're a championship team. You know what? I'm going to dial it back a little bit. You know, I'll get out there. I'll help the Spurs as much as I can. But he went to Brooklyn, and again, you know, he had 11 points and 9 rebounds. And listen, he had 11 points and 9 rebounds. He oh uh, no, he played thirty minutes, but again, eleven points, nine rebounds, six assists, uh, two steals, one block, and he was um, four four out of ten shooting. And I heard he was serving a of Yeah, so again, that's not. And he was, and he was one from one for three point range. So he had.
1: This is this is this is a new era stat. This is what I'm gonna call it. He had a bench triple-double. When you come off the bench and you just wild out, you give them a little bit of everything. That's a bench triple-double. You don't actually got to hit double digits in all the categories, but if you showing out in every facet of the game in limited minutes or at less than starters
0: minutes, that's a bench yeah, triple-double. and again, yep. you know what I'm saying? And, yeah, and again, it was no – no, um, it was only Kyrie that played last night, and they beat the Hornets by um, – Close over twenty points, so you know what yeah, I mean. I and, and I also want to take time
1: out to say I apologize to the Charlotte Hornets franchise. On the last podcast, I said that you guys were probably just going to continue to sink. Nah, nah. Doesn't man. look that way. Looks like you guys are fighting. You've actually, I think, In the the fourth actually, they may have the gotten seat, yeah. better. Yeah, the fourth seed. They may have actually gotten better. I think on the last podcast they were the fifth seed, and I just saw them sliding as teams continue to ascend, you know, like Miami's going to catch them like like Scorpion, get over here, and just, you know, pull right past them. But it looks like Charlotte's going to put up a fight with the team that they have. Um, Devontae Graham ha- has resumed what he was doing last year. So big-time shout-out to him for remaining professional, waiting for his moment, and then when his moment came, taking advantage of it. As, as always, we never like to see a player, especially a young rookie, go down with a season in the injury, especially one that can affect them in a way – that, you know, you have to forecast for the remainder of their career. He broke his wrist, so, you know, he already had a conflicted-looking <laughs> shooting motion, so um, the mellow ball get well, but I hope that you take this opportunity to learn and, and also take some pride in the fact that you impacted that franchise in a way that they needed. They lost Kemba Walker. They added Gordon Hayward. They added, they added uh, Keith Murray last year, and it didn't pay off a media dividend. And here it was. You start coming into your own, and that team becomes a playoff team. So give it up for the Charlotte Hornets. You know what I'm saying? Always been one of the top five apparel choices to wear when it, when it came to their uniform designs and fitted hats. And they, they have the best broadcasting announcer right now in basketball, as far as I'm concerned. That's my dude right there. He can't do no wrong in my eyes. But um, back to these players and, and, and
0: them going to the post office. Before the season's way over. But again, I mean, but again, right. then then it comes to people that say, Well, what about Andre Drummond's situation where the where the team told him, Look, we're gonna keep paying exactly. you. Exactly. Just just exactly. stay at the crib until we figure out how to get rid of you. You know what I mean? Until we agree to a buyout. Yeah. If we can't trade for you, we're gonna get that buyout. But that's So in your mind, is one is one is one protocol better than the other? Or are, are both situations bad? I really think that um I think both, both situations are bad. I mean, at times I don't really fault the players because, again, they, we don't know the conversations that might have been had between either the player and the team or own, or agent, you know, representing the player, talking to the team, saying, hey, look, my guy want to get out of here. This is not the best fit for him. You guys are obviously going a different direction. And, you know, so that's, a, that's one thing, too, that we don't know what the, the private conversations are. So we don't know if guys have been trying to get out and it's just the teams just have not been able to, you know, let go of them because the team's obviously gonna do what's in best of their interest. Because again, that break also what we're talking about now brings the fact that um JJ Reddick had was there was talks of him wanting to um go to Northeast. Go to the Northeast. He was hoping to land in Brooklyn because his family
1: yeah. actually lives in Brooklyn. And now mind you, he didn't specifically yeah. say Brooklyn. He said he went to David Griffin, who is the current GM mm. of the um, New Orleans Hornets. Okay, I, I watched the podcast. He um, and, and he, say, he said he said it been we've been discussing it over the course of the season that you know there was going to be two options on the table. Either either you guys can get me to a team in the Northeast, or you're going to buy me out, so that you know I can I can make exactly. that decision for myself because him being in New Orleans and his family being in Brooklyn the way that New York's protocols work with COVID, it didn't permit them to come see yeah. him. Even if he had abided by the protocol, he's good to go, meaning him as the player, but his kids and his family actually suffer because in New York, you're required to quarantine for 10 days if you go somewhere where exactly. the is different. And them going to Louisiana, a place where I'm familiar with, and to be honest with you, Louisiana's kind of running wild. they run running wild here in Florida too, but they definitely, they definitely run it wild in Louisiana. Like It's just, it's just different. You know, all over the United States and, and possibly all over the world, people's attitude towards the coronavirus pandemic and, and the impact it can have on you, it, it, it varies. Mm-hmm. And and there are some areas in Louisiana where they're just quite lax. And I'm speaking facts. I'm not doing that to, like, degrade or disrespect any of the five people of Louisiana who are actually, you know, abiding by protocol, staying safe, keeping their mask on and all those other things. I'm just mm-hmm. saying the states are aware of what's going on in other states, and they have protocol to address you going to go see those states. And Louisiana was one of those those regions where, if Reddick's family came to visit him and then tried to return to New York, they would be required to quarantine yeah. for ten days. And he wouldn't. He didn't feel comfortable with the idea of his son, who I think is like less than seven years old, going back to school. His son's in kindergarten. His son's like four or five years old. He said he wasn't comfortable with the idea of putting his kid up to being deceitful about it. Say, hey, you go back to school and don't tell anybody you had. you Yeah, saw I think it was, it
0: was kids plural. I think that would be most, the other uh, way around. Kids that were like, um, yeah, but again, yeah, I he think has multiple the, children. The, he was talking about they, they're all like in elementary school. So getting those kids yeah. to keep a secret is kind of like that's not good for them. You know what I mean? And he doesn't want...
1: And mind you, for the sake of safety, it's not even a good exactly. thing to even want to put right. your kids up to that. So I respect them on both sides of the... Now I respect him on both sides of the plate when it comes to that. So he's in Dallas, which is ironically farther west mm-hmm. than New Orleans is. And I think I've spoken to that before. New Orleans belongs in the Eastern Conference, but I, I get it. The way the NBA is set up is very difficult to restructure it so that New Orleans is geographically placed where they belong. But we all know that that's an Eastern city. They're southern, but they're not. They're not the Western Conference. But long story short, JJ Redick is now. You know, he's going to suit up and be professional for Dallas, because Dallas is a competing playoff team, and even if they weren't, the fact that he knows that Dallas was a great franchise, he, he spoke to all those things. So yeah, th- there's a lot of that going on, and you've always been as far as our partnership goes, you've always been in favor of the player and the player power mm-hmm. movement. So I, it was just curious to me to see what your take was on it, because we're both mm-hmm. basketball players too, and we also understand the team dynamic. And we know the impact of any player, whether it's the 13th guy off the bench or it's your leading scorer, not buying into the team dynamic or not being supportive of the team dynamic and doing things that run counterproductive to the overall success of the team, which is unfortunately what guys like James Harden and Blake Griffin were doing. I think Blake Griffin in limited minutes is averaging what he averaged in Detroit with better shooting percentage. He was giving them, what, 12 and 3 or something Something
0: wild, mediocre like that. He's probably averaging 12 and 3 off the bench. Yeah, he, he, right now. well, he's, he's 50 yeah, plus well, percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's, um, I'm looking at Blake Griffin right now. In Detroit this season, he was giving him 12, 12, 5, and about 4 assists in about 31 minutes. And then in Brooklyn, he's playing 19 minutes, giving him about 9 points, uh, about 4 rebounds, and about 3 assists. So, again, you know, that's almost along the same lines.
1: He's out there giving bench triple doubles. Yeah, levels. so again. They got two guys giving you Yeah, bench
0: again, and, and the, the biggest thing with this whole situation is you have these teams who, um, you know, it, it, it comes to a point where I can't really fault the players too much, to a certain extent. I think everybody has some type of fault. But, again, these are these teams that, you can't because again, it was a, it was a, it was a notion that oh, Brooklyn shouldn't have all these players, and it's not fair. What about competitiveness? I'm like, dude. First of all, if mm-hmm. these teams that originally why did they buy why did they why did they buy those guys out and allow them to go wherever they wanted? One, two. Why don't you put a mm-hmm. better product on the floor so those guys don't want to leave? Because you can't you can't have these mm-hmm. guys sign these guys to these you know hundred million. 200 million dollar contracts and put give them no other options around and they say, Well, go, go carry us, go, go, go make us look good. It's like, Wait, what? All right, yeah, you.
1: But let's go ahead, let's go ahead, let's go ahead and speak to the elephant in the room and let's just speak to the franchise itself. The the Detroit Pistons haven't really known what they were doing with themselves in almost 10 years. I would say longer than that once they broke
0: up, um, I could go.
1: Well, remember Dumas was a part of that, and Dumas was supposed to be a part of the rebuilding. He couldn't get it right. They got him out of there. And then they got Stan Van Gundy in there, and Stan Van Gundy had the dual core road where he was the coach Which I've never seen by anybody work that out. He couldn't get
0: it right. Only person who ever did it successfully. Yeah, yeah even like, even Pat Riley left after a certain time. You know what I mean? Like that window He stepped down and gave the,
1: gave the position to, to Stan Van Gundy, but then when the veterans on that Miami Heat roster weren't really jiving with Stan Van Gundy's methods then, you know, Riley came back, coached him to a championship and then stepped down again. Uh, uh, granted again, Pat Riley, just, just to be flat out honest, besides him and maybe Bill Russell, those, those <laughs> and look at how far mm-hmm. apart historically we're talking about guys who, who were a part of the front office and also coaching the team. That, that, that's a role that, that Bill Russell had while he was mm-hmm. also a player. And then you fast forward almost 50 years and Pat Riley does it for the Miami heat, leads them to one championship realizes that the toll is too heavy. And he eventually brings Eric Spolster into the mm-hmm. fold to, to take over. Now, obviously they, I think they may have had a couple of interim coaches in between that before supposed to officially high. I don't remember how it worked out, but I do know that Van Gundy got pushed out because Shaq and whoever else wasn't really feeling his methods that much. And I think what they got to the Eastern conference finals and then won a championship or,
0: yeah, know. it was the middle of the season. It was like story early story of right? the season. I wouldn't say middle. Yeah, it was middle kind season. of still relatively early when they realized I stand this ain't it. And Pat was like, you know what? I didn't bring Shaq here to be just making the just making the playoffs. You know what? Or exactly.
1: For the second round of the playoffs or any of that type of thing. Like, like I, I I I traded away Lamar Odom, Karan Butler. I, I traded those guys away with the idea that we can take a leap because I believe in what Dwayne Wade can bring to the table. And he was right. He was right, and th- that has to be credit given to Pat Riley for having that savvy because there was always a limited mileage on Dwayne Wade's knees. Remember, he came into the league with only one meniscus. He had one removed when he was a player at Marquette, which is something that players mm-hmm. don't do nowadays. There's a lot of guys who've had their meniscus removed, and they never got that oomph back. Chris Paul did it while he was in, in New Orleans, so that he could come back and resume a season because they were in a playoff chase. I'm pretty sure now if he could go back in time, he'd probably say, hey, can you put that back in my knee? And I'm pretty sure there's quite a few other players who feel the same way about having had the meniscus removed. Russell Westbrook was one of the first ones to say, oh, nah, don't take mm-hmm. this out. When he had that run-in with Pat Beverly and tore his meniscus, he was like, nah, I'm, gone. I'm good, I'm not just going to take it out so I could come back in a week and play and then have a wobbly exactly. knee for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah, He
1: knew. The studies had already had already given him enough data for him to say, you know what? I just got to sit this yeah. one no, I'm sorry. And it was the right decision. Right. Um, but back to it. Um, what else we got going on in the NBA? Um, has Joel Embiid played? I think Joel Embiid in the past ten games played a total of like. Three Did games. I didn't even know he was back yet? Honestly. He's supposed to be back sometime this weekend, if not tonight. I don't probably not tonight if it, if he hasn't played or if they play – but he's supposed to be back mm-hmm. soon. Um, Philadelphia has managed to maintain the number one record. Uh, the not East, the though,
0: Nets right? got it. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, the Nets got it by like a game. Uh, let me just double check real quick on the computer. Um, mm-hmm. mm. uh, Brook- the- about half a game. Brooklyn's ahead by half a game because Brooklyn's um won eight out of the last ten games, so they've been they've been um they've been rocking and rolling. You know, that's been um. They've been the hottest team in the Eastern Conference, Brooklyn. And, uh, and while we're on the topic of the playoffs, let's just go ahead
1: and break down the um, – because this has been a mystery for us. I don't know if you guys out there who support us and listen were aware of this and just didn't get back to us to tell us, but um, we've got an explanation of what the playoff format is going to be. So, teams 7 through 10, teams 7 and 8 will play each other for a right to claim the seventh seed. Mm-hmm. One game. The winner of that game becomes the seventh seed. The loser of that game waits for the winner of the nine and ten game to play for the right to claim the eighth seed. So, the seventh and eighth seed have two chances to go to the playoffs when mm-hmm. the play-in game start. And the nine and ten teams have one chance. Because if you don't win that first game, you don't get to play for that game. Yeah, There's the loser in the 9-10 game. Yep. So it's interesting. Yeah, you go home. So it's interesting how the NBA configured it. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think it's going to make for obviously an opportunity for these teams that are typically unable to enjoy some postseason revenue to get a little cut yeah, off yeah. that one game. Some postseason teams are going to get two, you know, that advertising money, especially in, in the hardship that we're dealing with with COVID and not a lot of arenas being able to be filled or have max seating or even any seating, depending on what state these, mm. these cities are located in. I think I think it came at a good time. I think it came at a good time, and I like the idea that it gives you just enough of March Madness type of feel that you know that yeah, win or go home, everything's on the line type of energy that that the playoffs do require. You know, and we did kind of lose that, but we yeah. went into this um, all series of seven yeah, games yeah, era absolutely. that we did. Which, which ended after, unfortunately, it ended. It, it ended. It ended after Seattle got their heads knocked off by Denver. But it happened. The NBA has progressed and, and moved to a format that allows for, you know, some some additional juice. So I'm all for it. I'm excited to see how it's going to play out. Um, it does give me a different perspective on looking at the seven through ten teams.
0: Do you look at them differently now? Well, now yeah, but then also I was going to say I think this is why I'll, the this this past trading deadline wasn't as active as we thought. Because I think there was teams that felt like, okay, mm-hmm. we, we're like half a game for the 10th seed. We're not going to blow this entire thing up because mm-hmm. we got a chance to make the 10th seed. But I will say this. For the teams that are fighting to get to the 10th seed and you don't you don't get there i think there's going to be a lot of turnover in the off season. because if like let's say for instance mm-hmm. a team like chicago who is currently they're currently in the 10th position you know but they're ahead of toronto by like a game right and they, they're the ones that made some trades if they so happen not to make the playoffs i think that puts some pressure on management on figuring out what you want to do. Hey, we were big time players in this trade season and it backfired because actually Chicago has since the trade deadline has lost three straight games. So with those pieces Mm -hmm. that they, and again, pieces take time, but if you're trying to be that 10th seed or you're trying to make that seven to 10, so you look at it like, well, it's not a total loss for your team or for your franchise. If you don't even get there and you've been one of the most active teams there might be some more pieces in the offseason being, you know, being moved around. Uh, and it,
1: Chicago, I, as, I, think, an I think what I Chicago mean, did was, yeah, but 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 since you use them, let's let's go ahead and address them because I think Chicago kind of did a two for one thing. You know, it's like a tactical upgrade or maybe a lateral uh, a lateral mm-hmm. downgrade, if you will, because they got themselves from underneath Otto Porter Jr., who unfortunately since coming to Chicago, really hadn't been able to give them the bang that his contract was worth. And um, I felt like they had already seen enough from Wendell Carter Jr. to know that he wasn't going to be... Yeah, he's a starter-level center, but he's not of the echelon that he would be a threat that you need when you have a wing player. Yeah, absolutely. But it also but it also kind of like made me pause because everybody had been talking about Laurie marketing being a disappointment Mm -hmm. and that them saying, you know, with his contract being up for, I don't know, an extension, renewal, whatever the case may be, this might be his audition year for them to decide. Well, it looks like they've already made that decision. When they made this trade and kept Laurie, it looks like, you know, they're going to go ahead and move forward. It would be very surprising. I think things would have to go really left for them, like you mentioned, like them falling out of the playoff contention level, for them to just actually bail on that talent because the impact it could have on that roster. Zach Levine is scheduled to be a Mm -hmm. free agent in 2022. The the upcoming free agency class for 2022 is actually kind of crazy as far as names go. Now, whether their caliber of play is going to be worth talking about, that's something else to discuss because Russell Westbrook will be a free agent in 2022. So will Chris Paul. So will LeBron James. I think Kevin Durant and um, Kawhi Leonard and Steph Curry are all eligible to be free agents mm-hmm. in 2022. So it's interesting because we're talking about what's currently the prime guard, you know, the, the main stage guys, but it's a season away. And they will have accumulated another season under their belt. And it's safe to say a few of those guys will be the guys yeah, that, they well, were that they are now.
0: And it's also so, it's okay. also fair to say that right. some of those guys you mentioned are eligible in this offseason for an extension. So so, yes, so again, that, now, now that becomes the media's way of either spinning a story or trying to trying to find information or okay, if this player doesn't sign that extension are they going to play this season out, or do, in, at the current franchise, or are they trying to get traded? You know what I mean? Because that happens a lot with a lot of players that are that that reject the um, the extension. But some of them look at it, well, I'll reject the extension this year and play this full year out. That way, I can get a longer term deal. But then there's also those players that reject the extension because they went out of town. They don't want it. You know what I mean? So it's like, nah, I don't care how much money you're offering. I'm out of here. So that's. A,
1: yeah, and I'm interested to see, and, um, you know, our listeners, we appreciate y'all. Maybe y'all can hop on our Facebook or Instagram page or wherever you can leave a comment. Give us your your wacky prediction for the 2022 offseason. Because I watched a video recently of fans making predictions and them actually coming true years before. There's a kid who put Raptors in six mm. in high school yearbook. Raptors won the NBA championship in six that following Mm -hmm. fall. There's a guy who predicted that in consecutive off seasons, Kevin Durant would sign with the Warriors, followed by Boogie Cousins. That's crazy. Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors, and the following off season, Mm -hmm. DeMarcus Cousins did. So we can sit up here and prognosticate and say, oh, you know, based on how we feel about this and that and the third, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You never know. Yeah. You never know. There's a report from Brian Windhorst who is uh, ironically or uh, essentially he's like the same thing that the Incredible Hawk reporter was, just following him everywhere he goes. Brian Windhorst has been basically, you know, a part of LeBron James' leg hair since mm-hmm. his rookie season in Cleveland. So wherever LeBron has played, he's always been the beat reporter for that team. He reported that LeBron James is actually actively now recruiting Steph Curry mm-hmm. for that offseason. Where are they are going to play? I don't know, but and he got laughed off his own yeah. podcast for it. Laughed off his own podcast by fellow NBA reporters because they considered it to be yep. a but
0: again, this not is just Ryan that, but Windhorse. when you see um, Steph's team losing by almost 60 points and they were down at one point at 61 points uh, and they got outspelled by 30 points in a quarter, then you start saying, eh, ah, you, you know, Steph, that's why people might question what Steph's going to do because Steph's Steph's in a unique situation. Steph's even going to be, I think he's going to stay, but again, he's going to be tired of that losing because, again, if Clay doesn't, it has another setback. They're, they're showing that they don't have the firepower to keep up. And Steph's not going to want to continue to just keep mm-hmm. aging, wet, hoping that Clay eventually comes back because the Clay that you get after two years of having injuries, uh, season ended injuries. You're hoping that you get, yeah, and you hope you get that clay back, but you hoping you get that clay back for the long term of your contract, not just oh, we got clay back and he's and he's looking like he might be full old form, but now he's got to sit out for five, four or five games in a row, and I got to carry carry the team for you know seventy games. And let's look at and let's look at and
1: let's look at the players who came back from Achilles situations recently. DeMarcus
0: yeah, Cousins He just signed... Well, he's been talking to sign a 10-day like well, with the Clippers, which is crazy. But it's crazy. Wow. But it shows you how injuries wow. could affect but, your career, could derail your career.
1: So DeMarcus Cousins might wind up joining the Clippers. I mean, he must still got some stank in him if he was willing to go to Staples Center and play there. I mean, but he I, they gave him a ring, so I hope he's not too mad at the Lakers, but... Okay, so you got DeMarcus Cousins who's coming back from his Achilles tear. You got Kevin Durant who his body has, I don't want to say betrayed him, but it hasn't held up in his first season back from an Achilles tear. You've got John Wall who they've been tactically keeping out of games to keep his maintenance level right. And he has looked good when he's been out there playing healthy, and and so, so did Kevin Durant. But, again, like you said, if these guys are going to have to be on a level where they can't give you that for a reliable amount of time, it will affect you as a player thinking, what should I do mm-hmm. as far as my future goes? It's not, it's, not, it's not a long shot. It's not a reach. It's not, a, it, it, it's not an off-the-wall theory to, to think that in some part of Steph Curry's mind, especially with all that he's witnessed as a player, he watched Draymond Green recruit and successfully bring mm-hmm. Kevin Durant over. He watched them. He, he he watched Mark Jackson sneakily get Andre Iguodala yeah. to leave Denver to come play right. for Golden State and take less money. He he's been a party to shenanigans within his his, his organization because God knows how many just come here and play this one year deal. We'll get this ring together. Exactly. That he's pulled off since he's been yeah. at Golden State. I agree. You know, Andrew Bogut. Andrew Bogut came yeah. here and played for the low. JaVel mm-hmm. McGee. Play for the loan. David yep. West. Play for the loan. These are all guys who, with their veteran acumen, could go to any other franchise and say, "Nah, I need eight, ten, twelve million dollars a year for a mm-hmm. one year deal, and get it just off the strength and GP of what they've done in the league." But they were all willing to go the opposite route and say, "Nah, I'll take that bargain basement deal. I've made enough money. Yeah,
0: I was winning time." And it, yeah, and we talked so, about, we touched about, we talked about earlier with the buyout market and players that are doing this. So I think the reason why most people are getting, we're getting, well, I'll tie this back around Brooklyn before we close up, was, again, when a guy is already, he might have been the, the, the number one man or he might have been the number two guy, but as his career progressed, he's now the number four option and he gets bought out. It's, people don't look at it as bad. But when there's guys that still feel like, well, this guy, season the two ago, he was the number one option. He got injured, and he's still a very serviceable player. And these guys go to these teams, these winning teams. I mean, because it's like it's like those dudes a the lotto. Like I get a lump sum payout, or have the payout sh- shot up, and I go from one in a, a horrible losing situation to an automatic contender. I mean, because the the whole. Everything resorts back to like the Blake Griffin's and because David West did that. Remember David West? He left the Spurs and went to Golden State. You know what I mean? And David West, mm-hmm. he turned down he turned down money because the Spurs were offering him some. Um, back. They were offering him a nice piece of change, and he said nah. Yeah, I think he was getting like a, a double-digit million-dollar deal, and he yeah. He, matter good. of fact, it was um. He was good. Yeah, he, he was he, yeah he was supposed to resign with the Pacers. Matter of fact, he's supposed to resign with the Pacers, and then said, "Nah, I'm good. I'll just go ahead and go with, with the um. No, it was it was the Spurs. My bad. It was with the Spurs. But then he realized, yo, they ain't going nowhere. I'm out. Let me get let me get bought off this contract, and I'm gonna go to Golden State. And he played two years with Golden State, and he won a he won a ring. He won a ring with one of those years, and the other year was the um. The seventy-two and no, a matter of fact, he wanted two because he came the same in two years that Durant was there. So again, he got two rings out of it. So to close your career out, you made your bread. You could have, you could have made a little bit more, but again, I'm good. I ain't trying to be. I'll, I'll take the, you know, I'll, I will not get paid ten million dollars if you're telling me. You can pay me. You longer, pay me four, worth your... You know what I mean? I'll take the four million dollars and two rings, two championships. I'll take that. I'll take that little six yeah. million dollars. Paper, paper. If your money being shorter
1: is worth your legacy being longer, most players are going to take exactly. it if you made a good chunk of change. Facts. You know, if you got an opportunity to look at, I'll take a seven, eight million dollar loss, knowing that I backed up ninety four million in salary over over the. My prime, yeah, I can eat that. I'm still gonna get free sneakers, I'm still gonna get free meals. I don't spend none of my NBA money because I'm not like I'm not gonna go out like Kevin Garnett did, you know, and some of these other players who unfortunately lost a lot of money. But to, to circle back to what you're saying, as a fan, I laughed at Brooklyn, but I'm not mad at them. Mm-hmm. It didn't bother me because, like Blake Griffin said, when they interview him, he said. Yo, last week, y'all said we sucked. And now y'all mad we in Brooklyn. So, it, so, yeah. so keep the same energy. Either we suck and it's not a big deal because we went to a team and we're not going to do nothing for them. Be mad that way. Don't be mad like, oh, it's an embarrassment of riches. And he's got a point. He's got a point. Now, LaMarcus Aldridge didn't – I don't want to say he didn't think. But I do want to say that his relationship with Greg Popovich mm-hmm. was very unique. His first year in San Antonio, when they signed him, he played that year. And he asked them to trade him. He asked to be traded. After his first year in San Antonio, he was, yo, you know what? I don't want to run it back. I apologize. I thought this was going to be what it was. It's not. Popovich talked to him. In mm-hmm. time. So then he goes on to play, was it two, three more years in San Antonio? And he watches his role diminish. He watches the NBA evolve. And he sees yeah. the future. Popovich and, and that franchise are leaning towards trying to find a frontline replacement that suits the way that the Spurs want to play basketball. He doesn't suit mm-hmm. it right now. He gets it. Popovich comes to him and he says, Yo, look, as a favor to what happened over the, you know, over the length of your time here, I'm gonna allow you to just go ahead and sit out because we're moving in a different direction, and I'm gonna get you somewhere, or I'm gonna help you get somewhere where you'll be happy. I think all that they went through yeah. with Kawhi Leonard. And some of the other players that they've had leave and come back, like Marco Bellinelli and so on and so forth, I think I think that played a role in them. And also, the Spurs are are, are, are always you know noted as one of those quote unquote first class organizations. I, I think they you know they, they they did what they could to look out for him and at the same time protect mm-hmm. their best interests. So you know he got bought out. So the Spurs the Spurs essentially yeah. ate a check to Let him go find his way, so I'm not really lumping the Spurs into that situation where these teams are telling, like, Andre Drummond, like, yo, look, bro, if you try to show up at the team facility, your
0: ID badge won't work. You know, they essentially was like, you know, yeah, they yeah, gave him yeah. like a restraining, and up. they did that early too. Clearly. They did that back in February, yeah, before the all star. was like, yeah, thank you for your service, but uh, we don't, we ain't gonna need you, so don't show up. Matter of fact. Whatever you got and that's the gear in the crib, keep it. We'll, we, you, don't, you don't need to come back for nothing else. We'll send you whatever you got in the locker room. We'll, we'll FedEx it to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
1: We're going to literally ship you your locker. We're not even going to go through it and empty it out. We're just going to remove the stall, put it in a box. You're going to get a really big box for UPS. All right? Exactly. Thank you, Andre. And that was part of what set Draymond Green off when he did that press conference and spoke to the fact that y'all playing it separate ways when it comes to how y'all see Facts. players in these situations. So it's been a very unique season. What we talked about today hasn't really been all that unique because it's just been something that's always been a part of um, the NBA culture as a whole. Um, what else is on the docket? Because we still got like 10 minutes.
0: Um, we just – the Knicks have lost three straight. Um Oh, I wanted to speak to that. Um,
1: how do you feel about what Anthony yo, said about R.J. Better?
0: Oh God, yo, that was comedy. I thought it was comedy, man. I but I thought that was, yo, you know what, R.J. This should be, we, this should be motivation and make sure that that should be your defining moment in your career. The fact that they were like, yo, we were happy he took the shot, and again, it was a two point shot. It wasn't even like again that basically almost like in order to get better, you got to get this jump shot rocking because teams, teams are always going to um, consider that he's just the first player that said it, you know, and the fact that he said that and they won makes it worse. Um, But again, you know, Minnesota worst team in the league. The Knicks had no business losing to them because they were up double digits multiple times in that game. But when it came down, when it came to money Tom, mm-hmm. you can't deliver. And R.J. Barrett is the second-best player on the Knicks roster. I mean, again, statistically and minutes-wise. Um, so you can't – you got to make those shots. Who's playing center now? Who's playing center now? Oh, Mitch now Robinson Mitch brought Rob his foot. Fractured his foot. Yeah, who's playing you center? He's, now he's playing out. center? Oh. Um, Who's playing center Noah now Noah that he's Duel out? It's starting. So you know 80. what I mean, but again, it's a um... Haitian
1: sensation, Nerlands. Let's go, yeah, bro. I get. He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's, like, he's gonna give you seventy five percent of work. No, nah, he's been Mitchell playing Robinson
0: well. I mean, he's been playing well again. But that's the thing. You had you um, but you, you. I think the Mitchell Robinson thing with him falling out. You got Nolan's Noel, you know who's a, who's a, who's a vet that that's you know he's going to be able to be good in that role. But again, it, it's you would wish you had Robinson because Nolan's Noel doesn't need to be playing thirty minutes a night or twenty five minutes a night. You know he's more of a twenty. Yeah, he's a he's, he's, a, a, he's, a, decent, he's a he's a he's a he's he's a good backup for the role that the Knicks want him to be. You know what I mean? They don't. He's 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 athletically better than most backup centers
1: in the league. He's defensively better than most backup centers in the league. But because again, he doesn't have the bulk and he doesn't have the shooting touch to really diversify his game, he's always going to be unless he suddenly gets a jump shot. Uh, he's going to be a replacement center with above average mm-hmm. skills in certain facets of the game. Now, Mitchell Robinson, I don't want to say it like, you know, he all of a sudden had a jump shot and all those other things, but Mitchell Robinson's defensive pedigree was just like, mm-hmm. his plus minus is out of this world. You know, like, you just don't shoot well with him guarding the rim. He's, he's on, he's on, not on par, but he's in that tier with like Rudy Gobert, where it's going to be a bad look for you driving to the rim and that's the guy that you've got to finish around, above, or near. So you get Nerlens Noel, who can give you some of that, but just nowhere near at the level that Mitchell Robinson naturally does, because Mitchell Robinson's got, like, mm-hmm. wingspan of a condor. But I definitely have nothing but well wishes for Mitchell Robinson. I hope you get well. You know, a foot injury. Did yeah. you see Derrick no, Rose? I mean, because he didn't but that's
0: That's just show you how, you know, Derek Rose is a real one. And again, that's also a tight-knit group on that Knicks mm-hmm. team. And a guy, you talk about a guy who has a history of those injuries that you know you you just you just don't expect, you know what I mean. And so again, I, as you said, my, my um the hope the Knicks situation again they lost three straight. They were they were if they win those three games, the Knicks are in the the number four seed again. The, with this East Coast with this Eastern Conference standings, even though the Knicks are currently the seventh seed after losing three straight. They're only a game back from four. So that goes to show you mm-hmm. this, this um, seven through 10. I mean, I look at the Hornets. They're currently in the fourth seed, right? They are only, they're four games ahead of the 10th seed, which is Chicago, which is, and again, you got four, five, yeah, four, five, six, and seven are all separated by a game. So, no, we have four, no four through eight is separated by one game because Boston is the eighth seed, and they're one game behind the Hornets. So that whole that, that's why I was, you know, I tell people as a Knicks fan, I want the Knicks to go battle for that 4th and 5th seed. Go get the 4th or 5th seed cuz I don't feel like I feel confident that you could compete that first round series matchup against the Hornets or against Miami or against Atlanta as opposed to if you finish 7th or 8th or or the 7th or 8th spot the Knicks in the first round for ratings might be great playing against Brooklyn, but Brooklyn fully loaded is going to mop the floor with the Knicks. You know what I mean? But if the Knicks can finish in the fourth seed or the fifth seed, that could be a good first-round matchup for them. And, again, having that young talent, that puts some players that are considering – might be considering New York on notice. Like, oh, wow, yeah, they, they – they, they, Uh, I'm just saying, but again, but not even okay, even if you don't go with the free agents, right? Because it is the Knicks and there's no top tier in his prime free agent sign with the Knicks since never, right? So even if you don't do that, but that gives those younger no but he wasn't in his prime. He was, just his prime was much shorter than okay. I would say Stoudemire was in his prime in in Phoenix. I'm, what I'm saying, but with those injuries, again, like you said, that that, that prime, he had an accelerated prime, he right. yeah, had an accelerated prime, but and again, he only yeah, healthy really like what that first full season, then it's when the body started you know turning his back on mm-hmm. him, so You're right. yeah, betray him, yeah, and it's
1: just a reminder of of outdated medical procedures because Amari Stademeyer was one of those guys who miraculously came back from microfracture. When the history on microfracture mm-hmm. was negative because microfracture ended Chris Webber, it ended Allen Houston, Jason Kidd survived it, but by that time Jason he Kidd was no longer game. trying to be athletic anyway. And yeah, it yeah. uh it took Penny Hardaway away. A lot out. of
0: players. It's a, and it's probably more players that we didn't even realize that had got the surgery.
1: And Amari had two yeah. microfractures. Did,
0: did, did, did Vince have it or no? Okay. Got Gotcha. No. Gotcha. Um no. But yeah, okay. So back to back to that uh the Nick situation. If if I Okay. Had water so it, again, with the whole Nick situation, it also gives those young players on the team more opportunities to get better. You know, a guy like RJ Barrett is going to get better by playing more games. He's not going to get worse by, you know, not playing more games. He's going to get better playing more games. And again, the Knicks need that. I mean, New York needs that. New York needs a first-round matchup where the Knicks have actual a legitimate chance to win the first-round matchup. And I think... The, Knick, the, Knicks, the Knicks need to play
1: against a team that gives them a chance to develop, experience mm-hmm. what it's like to be game-planned against. Because... When you play in the regular season, teams can give you a game plan, but it's not going to be the, you know, it's not going to be the detailed, keep this guy going right, and this is how we're going to make it happen and make it work for seven games type of game plan. It's going to be, all right, well, tonight, try to work on this, try to work on that, make sure you do this, and make mm-hmm. sure you do that, and let's get the win. In the playoffs, it's focused. It's drill down. The only thing you're thinking about, the only game tape you're watching, is that team you're going to be playing. So... You're right. They need that. They need to have a series where, I don't want to say a superior opponent, but an opponent who may or may not be better than them exposes some of their glaring weaknesses so that, like you said, these young players go into the offseason and they say, I- I'm not going to do this again. It had to happen to Kobe. Kobe had to shoot those air balls and have the whole world laugh at him. For him to say, no, nah, I'll never be so tired that I shoot an airball pull-up jumper, I'll miss. But mm-hmm. it'll hit the rim and I'm going to scare you. Same thing with um. Uh, there's, you know, there's been a lot of guys who mm-hmm. came up short in those early playoff runs. Michael Jordan, had his, he had his issues as well. A lot of guys did. It's a part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, Giannis is going through it right now. So I agree with you, but I've said it from the get-go. R.J. Barrett don't have a gun, and one of the toughest things to acquire as a basketball player, especially in the NBA, seems to be the ability to get a working gun, a reliable, steady gun. We always go back to Jason Kidd and say, oh, well, look, he did it. But we don't have a lot of other guys on that outlier who went from being below average perimeter shooters to to being, you know, even replacement level. LeBron does Mm -hmm. it every now and then. Like he'll have a season where he'll shoot 37% from three. I think he had a Miami season where he shot almost 40, but he reduced how many three-pointers he was taking. And he took out all of the bad threes and that made his percentage go up. Was he actually a better shooter? Yeah, none? and then he's <laughs> a more efficient. One. Yeah. R.J. Barrett
0: is going to have to find that. Music. Exactly because I feel like as a, um, I don't know. I'm looking at him. Even his mechanics it seemed a little. It just seemed a little like, sunk off to it. Like I feel like he needs to switch his shot up a little bit. But, again, being this would be you know after this season to be his third year in the league to get somebody to do that. Yeah, I mean he's still well, he's, 20, yeah he's very young. But I just feel like, you know, if they don't get that, if they're expecting him to be the number two, that's never, that's never going to happen. You know what I mean? Again, if, if they can get another player and it, it's just a weird situation. I really, let me say this. I'm probably one of the few people who I feel that R.J. Barrett has a lot of holes in his game. The only reason why he's able to be able to produce the way he does is because he seems very strong. Well, not just say he's left-handed, but he's, he's very left-handed. strong. And mm-hmm. a lot of teams allow him to work his drive. And I think that you know he drives a lot to the basket. But he doesn't, if you ever see him play, he doesn't have a handle. His jump is not consistent. Um he's he doesn't really have any go-to move. So it yeah, so again.
1: Yeah. yeah he's not he's, a creator. Yeah.
0: and, and – and, 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 so that's 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 gonna be his biggest problem. That's gonna be his biggest problem is working on his handle to be able to create that shot. Uh, and again, having that shot. That's that's those are two those are two skills that are very hard to adapt at the professional level. When even in the games, you're not even looking like you're trying some of the stuff. And with this season, guys aren't getting that practice timing that they might have had before in the, in the past because they're. It's Simmons. a day off game, a day off game, a day off game. Ben Simmons. So a lot of players,
1: I'll say that.
0: Exactly. But again, Ben Simmons' hard is not ben predicated Simmons. on the, the jumper. He'll he'll be the he'll be the taller version of Rajon Rondo his whole career because he's not even making that attempt to shoot. And if he does shoot, it's like. <gasps> Don't, don't don't bring Rondo into
1: this. Because but I'm Rondo saying was early fire. early
0: early Rondo. Three. Okay, let's say it <laughs> playoff Rondo. Oh right. yeah, i put that out Early there. Rondo was to jump. Early Rondo was reluctant to shoot. Now, granted, Rondo had all those weapons, so it was like, hey, you know, I got three Hall of Famers to get a ball to. Yes,
1: there, there was a way to mask his deficiency, and that's and that's what we've been speaking mm-hmm. to whenever we speak of Ben Simmons in, in the first place. If you don't put the right players around him to flank his weaknesses, his weaknesses become ground. Philadelphia has invested in taking more threes. Ironically, you know they're not even a top 10 three-point shooting team percentage-wise? I didn't know that, and so I recently took a, a deep dive into their stats. They're shooting more threes because they have players willing to shoot them, but they're not actually mm. – as successful as you might believe simply because they've added Danny Green. Now, mind you, Danny Green played out of his mind when he came back to play the Lakers. Oh, my mm. God. I think he hit like eight threes. Against but those exactly. nights are, are not the the norm. So, getting back to RJ Barrett, get, getting back to the Knicks. Um, again, I, I've never strayed away from it. You, you can't say I have. If that boy don't get a gun, it's going to be issues because as you age, and that explosiveness and, and all of those things that give you those early advantages, those things become, you know, those things become parts of your game that other players can counter. And when they start taking things away from you, then you're left with those those core fundamentals. And the NBA does not care for mid-range jumpers. So even if R.J. Barrett develops himself into a left-handed version of a Kawhi or Kobe, he inverts the offense. If that becomes his primary source of scoring, because you see what it did mm-hmm. when they brought DeMar DeRozan to San Antonio. Like, his mid-range game, they ha- it was either him or LaMarcus. Yeah, I yeah. kept saying that. I said, yeah. you can't have them both. And then you started mm-hmm. saying that. You can't have them both on the floor. Because there's just too much that's getting packed in. Because you know the shot is not coming from beyond the three-point line. And the way NBA defenses work now, if you're not pulling defenders away from the rim, you're taking away the shot that everybody else prefers besides the yeah. three. Which is a drive to the basket. N- because there's no more posting up. These guys that post up... They post yeah, yeah. up for, like, entertainment. Outside of what, Joel maybe like Zion Williamson and maybe, like, four or five other players. Yeah, outside of, like, you know, really less than 10. Arvidas, mm-hmm. Not Arvidas, but DeMonte Sabonis. You've you got a few. You know, Jokic posts up when he cares to. But a lot of times he's posting up just to pull the yeah. defense in. He's not even posting up to try and score. A lot of his baskets where he scores exactly. close to the rim, those are putbacks because he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the league. So the post game is like I would say in the 90s it was in the 50% of what you saw in basketball and now it's in the 5 to 10% of what you see in basketball. Like you see a guy posting up, you be like, yeah. "Yo, hold on, I might record this." If,
0: especially if you're not going to see him post up consecutive plays. You know, maybe maybe you might you might again again like you said, there are a handful of people that do it. And that's, that's for another whole other podcast, you know what I mean? Because that's... But. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about the game changing and, and where things are moving on that next podcast. But for now, as always, we'd like to say thank you to each and every one of our listeners, supporters, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you could do so by leaving us a voice note on any of the podcasting platforms we are hosted on. Also, do not be afraid to subscribe. We welcome it. We'll be joining you in video shortly. Stay tuned for that. Announcements will be pending. You can also leave us a message directly by emailing us at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. You can tag us to talk on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Instagram.